You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger. It is Thursday, the 7th of July. How are you doing today? I, I, I dare you to say... You're having a bad day or a bad week. Well, I mean, Pokemon Go has been down for most of the afternoon. So. Oh, you poor bastard. Poor, poor bastard. It's actually not even in Canada because I saw that and I was like, ooh. And I tried to download it and said it's not available in Canada. I was like, you know what? Fuck you, Pokemon. Well, the last thing we need right now is a few million more people crashing the servers. Oh, yeah. It's all right for you to be on, just not us. Well, I'm not on. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i allowed to download the app. That doesn't mean I'm using it. <laughs> so, yeah, I was actually – what was funny is that I heard from somebody else that they were saying, like, if you're trying to play it outside of your region or if you're trying to download it and play it and it hasn't been unlocked in your region, it's like a permaban as well. So you won't be able to use it later unless you change your name or whatever. So, you know what? Screw you freaking bastards. <laughs> I'm going to catch Pokemon now. All right, I decided for this episode, in light of the recent passing of Star Trek actor Anton Yelchin, who played Chekhov in the rebooted Star Trek, I decided that for this week, and this week only, to put our hold, or my hold I should say, on DC coverage, just for the week, just put it on hold, and actually discuss this fantastic miniseries that came out that was the Star Trek Green Lantern Spectrum War. I really enjoyed it a lot when it came out. And even though I was, again, and still am, ticked off with DC for everything, I figured this is actually a good one for us to cover this week because we actually got to see some cool moments with Chekhov in this series as well, which... Uh, he he was great. Like, yeah. he's a perfect Blue Lantern. Yeah. So it, it fit, and it, I thought it'd be fun to talk about that this week. So this was written by Mike Johnson, art by Angel Hernandez, as well as colors by uh, Alejandro Sanchez. The art in this is spectacular, which is what you need when it's a... Lantern story, of course, because you have you have to have these spectacular colors that come off the page. And as far as I'm concerned, we got that in spades here. It just was a beautiful series to look at. The other thing to keep in mind is not just that the artist had to work with two different franchises to try to make the characters look like those the the originals, but also the Star Trek being the new rebooted series, not the classic or any others, they try to make the characters look somewhat like the actors who played the parts. And I felt, as we've said with other series in the past, that they did a good job because they didn't try to make it exact. It was an artist art, artistic representation of those characters. And I, again, I quite liked it. You could easily see who was who, and yet it still had its own style. Yeah, definitely. It's like, oh, yeah, that's Christopher Pine, that's Zachary Quinto, that's Zoe Saldana. But it's not like, what was it that we were reading not that long ago? And it was like they could only use certain angles for some of the characters because they were very clearly from tracing. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, was it like one of the Star Wars ones, I think? I don't remember. 
I, I know uh, exactly yeah, what you're talking it, about. It, though, it, but yeah, it it definitely handled that balance perfectly. Yeah, definitely. So what this is story wise. You, you really don't know initially the reasons why. However, Ganthus is on the run. He is on Mogo, which is a dead planet at this point. And he's being taunted like a punk <laughs> by the Black Lantern, obviously, because the writing is in that. The narrative writing is in that style. Ganthus kind of decides to, and he's got, the, the rings with him, one of each color, and he decides that he is going to cast a spell. They don't say what it is initially, and what winds up happening is that he and the rings, and you later find out any surviving lanterns, are whisked away to this other parallel universe, which happens to be the universe where Star Trek, the rebooted series, exists. I found that it worked very well as an explanation, and you get far more explained later on. I found it worked very, very well. A lot of these were when they try to blend different franchises from clearly different universes. It doesn't always work. And yet this, I felt, really did work. Completely believable. And then once you toss in... The, the rings looking for new people, as well as the existing lanterns coming over. It was almost as if they'd all, always existed in that universe because they blended together so well. You're never going to do that interdimensional transfer thing in a way that ever really makes sense if you think about it too hard. So you do what they did here. You just kind of hand wave it. Yeah, it's, you know, Elder of the Universe magic, done. And, and you don't need more than that because we're comic readers. We can just kind of go along with the flow. Yeah. I like as well, too, that, like, I haven't been keeping up, for obvious reasons, as much with Green Lanterns and Green Lantern Corps right now and what's happening. So as I was reading this, like, I... I, I, I have a feeling this was written as if... Nobody has read a Green Lantern comic since the the Blackest the Night because not very many people have. Yeah, because this it, it almost as if it's right after War of Light kind of thing, and because in this version, let's say they they lose the War of Light, they they lose, and Death essentially is taking over the entire universe. I think this this said that they had won the War of Light like we saw in the comics and this was Necron coming back for a second attempt. Yeah, that, sorry. That's what I meant essentially yeah. is it's again Necron's coming back and laying waste to everyone that time. So – but I didn't know when this was occurring in terms of the Green Lantern canon if this – if it's or if this, irrelevant really. <laughs> well, guess and no because I think that if we had been following it – the Green Lanterns, I should say. And if this is something that actually was predicated in that series, then we would probably enjoy this even more. Not that mm-hmm. you need to know what happened, but it'd be like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is like a, a continuation. Again, picture picture Civil War, but then at the end of Civil War, they branch off into another franchise 
for part of the ending, possible ending. To me, that's that's kind of interesting and kind of cool. Send them all to Gotham. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm just trying to think of what, what movie franchise you could cross Civil War over with. <laughs> the Flintstones. <laughs> so what Mac winds up happening? <laughs> that could happen. Yeah. Tell me you don't want to see the Iron Man car. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be actually pretty awesome. So the rings come aboard. They – because they um, – Kirk and, and Spock and, and – away party, head to the planet, see that it's dead, find the corpse and decide, okay, let's just take it all back to the ship and we're not going against any prime directive because everything here is dead and we'll just study it. The rings are obviously being um, studied by Scotty and his little buddy and they don't have any clue as to what they do or anything like that. And he, what is it? again, it's pseudoscience, pseudo Star Trek science, hits them with what, a tachyon or some damn thing, activates yeah. them. And before Just you reverse know, the polarity on the deflector grid. <laughs> yeah, basically. And basically you've got your, your, your blue, your indigo, your, your red, pink one, not red, the, the, the pink one um, or purple, whatever they call it. And, um, and yellow head off. And I like how they were blending it in again with not just the good guys, but also you got a Klingon who gets a ring. Well, freaking Klingon with one of these rings is going to be one dangerous son of a bitch. And sure enough, he kind of is. But then on the other side, you've got Chekhov, who, as we've seen, not just from the original series, but also the rebooted series, is just a very intelligent, very eager to explore the possibilities type of character. Well, you put a ring on him and all of a sudden we're going to have some interesting scenes, which I, a lot of them were coincidentally with that character suddenly realize he can control the ship. He can send out even stronger photon torpedoes. out, And, he, and I loved him playing outside of the, the, the ship for a little while, flying around. <laughs> And then that interaction that follows again with Hal. And so that's right at the end of that episode too. Hal shows up and is immediately, okay, why is my, why is Ganteth on your ship? What is going on here? And it was a beautiful way to end the issue because it, it it suddenly you realize, oh, this is going to be cool. The crossover is more than just the rings. But on top of that, you're thinking, oh, crap, if he came through, mm-hmm. what about Sinestro? What about all these other people? And then you wind up getting that later on. Yeah, exactly. The first chapter, you're like, oh, okay, this is going to be fun. Who's going to get the rings? But yeah, Hal showing up absolutely changes everything and for the better, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got also – the red ring going off to Romulus. No good can come of that. <laughs> this is this is where I'm trying really hard not to be that uber nerd and complaining that the rings went to the wrong people. But <laughs> I thought they made it work, actually. They made it work within the confines of the story, but I'm also a gigantic nerd, so I'm always going to complain about something. See, I think I, I know what you're talking about, and initially I kind of thought that. But what the reason I accepted it far more readily than you maybe is because I looked at it as the ring, the rings finding 
a person, regardless of mm-hmm. their race, that person is trying to use fear. That person is full of rage, not that race is known to be full of this kind of thing. And once you accept that, it makes it a lot easier going forward because not only does it make sense in, in, in regards to the story, but also it puts often that person who got the ring, primarily the, the evil guys, at odds against their people as well. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, I'm not sitting here going, that. oh, this story was stupid because a Ferengi didn't get the orange ring. Like, it's just, you know, <laughs> it, I know what you're saying. pointing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I know what you're saying. It was something that I briefly thought about, but then the rest of it made so much sense that, and I, again, I accepted mm-hmm. that separation of individual and race, and that made it a lot easier. I also, I loved freaking Bones getting a ring. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do have to say, I kind of wish this miniseries was at least, you know, maybe one or two issues longer. Oh. Because I don't think we really saw enough of the Romulans and the Gorn and the Klingons. Like, it was just kind of like a side plot that showed up for a few pages and then was completely forgotten about in service to the larger storyline. I'm not going to lie. This, if this was a regular series, regardless of my disdain for DC right now, I would be reading this every month quite happily. Like, I adored everything that was happening in this. And by virtue of the fact that it is both a Green Lantern story as well as a Star Trek, they can do anything with this for as long as they want, especially Mm -hmm. once you get to the end and they're making it seem like that's it. Their universe is dead. They're going to continue to exist in this universe now, which has its own set of problems. And it also acts as a rebirth of, t- of kind because now Sinestro's got to grow his ranks again. Now you've got Hal and the few that remained suddenly needing to grow the Green Lantern Corps again. And, and what's going to happen now without any of the elders? And so there's a lot of questions, a lot of potential story arcs that – can naturally grow out of this in a way that makes sense for a rebirth that we really don't see often in quote unquote rebirths. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot here. I, I again love the reintroduction of Sinestro suddenly showing up. He's a fun character. So (laughs) suddenly Sinestro showing up is like, okay, we're now we're going to have some fun, especially once you realize that the original people who are brought to the Star Trek universe have a lot more power at their disposal, be it because they've had the rings for a lot longer, know how to use them, or just because in Sinestro's case, he started that core kind of thing, that it's it's fun watching them just basically slap the others around. Oh, yeah. like, you, you think you're tough. Trust me, <laughs> you're, you're, you're not even tickling me right now. So that's about it. I mean, I, I there's a, a fantastic, there's several fantastic scenes, battle scenes, which in typical kind of war of light fashion is an assault to the visual senses. <laughs> <laughs> Colors everywhere, but done in such a way that it's beautiful to look at you have and also oddly resonant with that jj abrams lighting style that they do also replicate very well i love the relationship between kirk and hal of course 
which is yet another reason why I would adore seeing They're more. They're the same of person, these. really. They really are. That's why when he makes that joke, Kirk makes a joke about Hal just taking off without thinking, and Spock is like, "Yeah, I kind of know something about that." <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's that relationship would be very fun to see more of, especially again because both of them are very headstrong as well. And like Kirk, it's like, no, this is my ship. Like, don't be telling me what to do on my ship. We can work together, but let's let's remember who's in charge here. And and then you have all of the the new lanterns as well, kind of playing around with what those powers are. And in terms of a final resolution, which I won't get into, but in terms of them, because of course, Necron comes through. So now all of a sudden you have the entity that ended that other universe is now in this one. So what are you going to do? How can you possibly beat it? I found it completely believable. Once again, mm-hmm. in, in, in terms of the context of the, 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 the franchises and, and that it's a comic book. But like Scotty coming up with a pseudo ring, loved it. I thought that was fantastic. I love the the interactions of everybody against death. I loved Vulcan coming back. Oh, zombie Vulcan was I, I didn't I didn't expect that, but when it happened, I went, "This is brilliant. This is the absolute perfect thing to do with this story." And it ties in so beautifully with the movies, which once again, you don't need to have seen the movies to appreciate it. But you, if you did see the movies, if you were a fan of the movies, those moments with Spock on Vulcan, where his mother's corpse is coming towards him and talking to him, <laughs> regardless of how you see the character as not having enough feelings and things like that. Like that was profound and it just keeps going from there. I just thought it was, again, I, I loved, I, I loved the climax. I love that it made sense all along the way. And yeah, there were some bits that I would have loved to have seen last a lot longer, but I can appreciate that for a short series that you're trying to cram a lot into. Yeah. You're going to kind of, not be able to do as much as you would like with certain scenes, but it reached that climax so beautifully. And then the, the, again, the finale of how they defeat him to me made sense. It was fun to watch. It made sense. And it then opened it up again for the potential. One can hope of be it another mini series or maybe try an ongoing series with it. It, they're just everything worked. <laughs> it's it's so weird because we've seen so many of these crossovers and whatnot that you know they get something right, but something doesn't quite gel. But they just did such a great job of melding these two universes, finding all of the narrative points where things would intersect and be logical for the story and beginning to end. Is like it? The only problem I had was that it wasn't longer and that yeah. the stories couldn't play out in a more satisfying fact, fashion. But that doesn't mean that it didn't work at all because even if it was truncated and a little fast-paced at points, it still was a perfect arc beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. And visually arresting. I can't, st- I can't stress this enough. When you are looking at the final scenes, 
the final fight scenes with Necron. Again, don't want to spoil it because I'm really hoping people are going to mm-hmm. get this and and actually read it. But those final pages of that battle, once again, you have to give props where it's deserved. The art is so unbelievably beautiful. Just so, so well done. And I, again, absolutely adored it. So, any parting thoughts? No, I think we uh, covered everything. I think we we gushed enough. Hopefully people (laughs) will buy this and read it. I mean, yeah, definitely. Okay, as for what we are reading, should I bring it up or are you going to bring it up? Uh, I figure you'll bring it up. I'll probably bring it up. Okay, well, then I'll wait. Okay, fine. Spider-Man then. This this felt very much like Bendis kind of saying, see, see, I was going to make him apologize. I was going to, it, it was, it wasn't me outing him like I did with other characters in the past. It was, it was just Genki, but he feels really bad about it. And it just felt contrived. I really, and maybe it's because, well, not maybe, definitely part of that is, because I'm pi- <laughs> I'm pissed at Bendis for do- <laughs> for writing this shit. So when I'm reading this and now all of a sudden he's apologizing and everything, it's like ah, I it, it still kind of irks me. I like the the scenes with um with him and and and, uh, and Cat and Hammerhead. Okay, fun crazy power thing. Where the hell did that come from? Did I miss something? Maybe. <laughs> so you've seen this before. I. I don't know because he says he's only done it once before. Yeah. I I can't, I have a vague memory, but I honestly can't point it. I don't recall that ever being in the Spider-Man comics. So I'm wondering if it was in one of the crossovers or a secret wars thing, because I have never seen that. So as I'm reading, I'm going, what, where the hell did that come from? So it, didn't really kind of work for me, but eh, whatever. Um, what was the other one I had? Oh, okay. I'm just going to do this one and then you can, you can go ahead with yours. Uh, Spider-Man Deadpool. Did you read that one? I actually passed on this one cause it seemed like kind of something that I didn't need to read. <laughs> it had, As you know, I've been trying to pare down my reading on a week to week basis. Yeah. This was like a side story that had absolutely nothing to do with the continuity of what's been going on so far. They play that up in this, the writing felt way different. And it was, it was, cause it's a uh, different, right? You know, I know that I was getting <laughs> to that. That's the thing. As soon as I saw Joe Kelly wasn't writing, I went, eh, I could probably pass on this one. Yeah. This, this felt very, very much like a Deadpool issue. Okay. And for me, as anybody knows, I was like, nah, no, no, I, that, that tends to get on my nerves after a while. Certainly there are some cool moments in it, like seeing Deadpool and Spider-Man on the set of where they're working on the Deadpool movie. And you're seeing like various superheroes that are there, like Storm and, and Wolverine and, and I mean, you got Cap talking to Daredevil saying Hail Hydra and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I like the idea of, again, it was it was that fun thing of making fun of the Deadpool movie from within a Deadpool series. And then when it comes out and they're then, then they're like pot shots at 
Batman v Superman. <laughs> like that was funny. That was at the very end of it. And there's a poster of uh, Nighthawk v Hyperion. Yawn <laughs> of boredom. <laughs> you won't believe their mothers share a first name. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like blatant. We're just going to spit on DC here. So that was cute, but it was like, again, it was very, very much a, a daredevil comic. So I was like, yeah, other people will enjoy it a lot more than me. Anyways, that's it for me. What else you got? Before we go on, have you seen the Japanese trailer for uh, X-Men Apocalypse? No. They actually inserted a Deadpool cameo in the trailer. <laughs> Okay. He shows up saying that, yeah, he came to fill, film his uh, post credit scene, and he figured he'd put it in the trailer because nobody makes it to the end of an X-Men movie anyway. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty self-aware. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so the really the only thing I had to talk about this week is, of course, Steve Rogers, Captain America number yep. two. Yep. And I'm so disappointed. No kidding. Because, first of all, they didn't follow up on anything that happened in the first issue. Like, you can't build up to this big moment, this you know, groundbreaking, internet-breaking moment, and then just completely ignore it to, in the second issue, completely explain everything about why it happened and how they're eventually going to change it back. Like, it just completely removes all of the drama from the narrative. It's... In addition to being, you know, the most obvious and as such the most boring possible conclusion that that uh, we could come up with for where the story was going, it it just completely hamstrings where the story is going to go forward. I I hate that kind of bait and switch. I hate that kind of pulling the rug right out from you, but in a cheap way. It's not like it was a wow, that was really well conceived. It makes sense. And it still allows for a lot of intrigue in in terms Mm -hmm. of where the story might go from here. No, it's a cheat. It's a cosmic entity cube that's just altering reality. And it's like, well, you know, it's the same as freaking J.R. sleeping. Seriously, like the the dream sequence thing there. It's like, no, I, I hate when they do that. It's cheap writing and it like you're saying, completely removes accountability. It completely removes any kind of intelligent writing, need for intelligent writing, because you can just blame a cube. And it's like, oh, for crying out loud. Like, even if, I mean, you're going to use the Cosmic Cube as the big MacGuffin that's driving the story forward, and I'm not entirely against that, but you can do it in a more interesting way. You can seed in those clues over a number of issues. You don't have to immediately... In the second issue, beat everybody over the head with, here's what's happening. Here's here's why this is going on. <laughs> everybody calm down, okay? <laughs> it was the cube. It, because like, like we both said, we weren't entirely against where the story was going. We were interested in seeing how it was going to play out. Well, it's not going to play out because it's just, oh, there you go. So it, I was interested in reading the second issue and the rest of the storyline and after reading the second issue now i'm not interested in the rest of the storyline because they've preceded the entire resolution like it there's there's really no reason for me to finish this story now now i can just wait okay 
what's the next storyline after Captain America is fixed? Because the next several issues are going to be pointless, pointless at, exactly. at, at right now. Yeah, I'm not reading three. I've got no point, uh, no reason to at all. And and it's not just because of exactly what you said, but also as a means of not supporting what I consider to be lazy writing, wherein you're using the easiest possible solution for a grandiose story arc that's supposed to, you know, throw people for a loop. And yet you're using this cheap, cheap tactic afterwards. And I, I won't support that. So no, I, I definitely won't be reading the next one. Unfortunately, as I've been saying, it's Nick Spencer 101. Guy can't write drama. No, I, I, I yeah. He just can't. The potential was there, especially if you look at the the outrage, but also the interest of that first episode or issue, I should say. The potential was there to really have a lot of fun with this. And yes, it can wind up to be later on either fixed or changed somehow. I or mean, it's comics. What, we, yeah, we expect We that. expect that. There's, there's no lasting change. But second issue, oh, the cube did it? Shut up. God. And, I, and I'll go you one further. The actual pacing of the issue, page oh, yeah. to page, it, it, as the whole, issue itself was not good. I I, I hated it. The, <laughs> we're we're ignoring the quality of the actual issue too, in, in respect to its role in the larger story. But yeah, the the actual issue was not good. No, it wasn't. So that, that's it. That's all you've got. Yeah, I there's. I mean, I read a couple other comics, but I don't really have much to say about them. So, yep, no problem. Okay, let's move on to what came out this week here. So, we've got on the Marvel side Amazing Spider Man 15, Civil War 2, Kingpin 1 of 4, Civil War 2, X Men 2 of 4, Daredevil Punisher 3 of 4, Deadpool v Gambit 2 of 5, Empress 4 of 7, Invincible Iron Man number 11, Doctor Marvel's Doctor Strange Prelude number 1 of 2. Don't know what it is, but it's Doctor Strange. I'll read it. I'm going to assume it's a movie tie in. That's what I figured too, yeah. Moon Knight number 4, Spider number eight, Star Wars Han Solo number two of five, and Star Wars Poe number on number four. And then Images got Fix number four, Paper Girls number seven, Throwaway number, Throwaways number one, which sounds actually pretty interesting, and uh, Tokyo Ghost number eight. And then Valiant's got 4001 AD Shadow Man number one, which I want to read because we were liking the event. So I don't know if that's a tie into the event or what's going on, but... I, I, I'm liking the event itself, but little one-shot issues I, I feel are oh yeah terribly effective. Okay, yeah. I like have the, the one they did for EXO and the one they did for Bloodshot. Like they were okay, but they are completely meaningless as far as the larger oh, okay. story is concerned. Okay, all right. So that is going to wrap it up for the week. Thank you for joining us. Sorry for a couple of weeks or a couple of days late, but. It's been a bad week, and we'll leave it at that. You can find the show notes at comicbookinformer.com. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at CBinformer, or individually, you can find Vince at Simodian, and I am at Zen Buddhist. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Leave us some comments or, or suggestions or whatever, and we will talk to you guys next week. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.